0: want to start by asking the question, what kind of church will prevail, indeed overcome in these hard and difficult times? That's where we start this year. We start not in the kind of place I think that we might have hoped to, perhaps at the end of last year. We start in a difficult place, in a hard place. And so I want us to think this morning what kind of church will we be this year? Jesus said that you are the soul of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, it is no longer good for anything. So how, as a church, in the circumstances that we're in, can we be good for something? Well, that question is answered in a particular way in Psalm 100. If you want to keep that open, Psalm 100 has an answer to that question, what good can we be? Well, Psalm 100's answer to that question is to have a spirit of praise, of thanksgiving. And this morning we're going to think about how we praise, why we praise, and lastly, where we get the strength to praise from. Because we as a church want to display Jesus in our world. We want to display our faith and the difference that our faith makes in our world, in a world that is gripped by fear and panic. We want to display Jesus by repentance in a world of blame. We want to display Jesus by finding our strength in him when we're all feeling exhausted, when our world is feeling exhausted, when we start the year not with heights of excitement but with a level of flatness. We want to praise Jesus this year and we want to praise him with thanksgiving in our hearts. A spirit of praise and of rejoicing in God. It it sounds like something that, that is important but not kind of essential, you know, you could reduce it just to the politeness of Christian faith. Yes, God's done something for us, and we must have our Christian manners to say thank you to him. But Psalm 100 makes clear that the way forward, wherever we are in life, is praise. And so we can ask the question of ourselves this morning, would we give our lives to his praise? Come what may. Whatever this year holds. You see, praise is something that I I think we can reduce or be tempted to think that it's an optional extra in Christian life. Um, It's something that we can delay until something happens. You know, we might praise God when we've done all we needed to do when we've reached a certain place, then we feel free to praise Him. But here is the thing. We see in Psalm 100 a disposition of the heart and a way of moving forward in life that indeed strengthens us to keep going in difficult times. A way of relating to God that puts a sparkle in our eye and a spring in our step. A spirit of praise is, I think, one of the most significant contributions we can make as a church to our community because in our community, at the moment, there is, to some extent, a spirit of despair, of unknownness of what this year holds and The way we relate to our community and to our culture at this moment is crucial, and Psalm 100 is giving us a way to do that with a spirit of praise. And this is crucial. Um, You see at the start of the psalm, just in that small writing, that superscription under the title there, there's an indication as to how this psalm is to be read. See, the book of Psalms is the hymn book of the people of God And here, the writer of this psalm wants you to know how the psalm is to be read. Here's the expectation. Here's the um, way it's to be read. I mean, it's obvious from the content what the psalm is about. It is about the praise of God, but for the psalmist, he thinks it's worth saying, this is the way you are to read it. Because I, I think he's wanting to orientate us and help us Think about how we engage with God's word. You see, we can either do it in two ways. We can do it in a way that's centered on God or centered on ourselves. We can engage with the psalm in a way in which God is the center of our consciousness. And we, in humility, to it, we, we adjust to him. Or we can exalt ourselves and expect everyone else, including God, To orbit around us. But here we have in this sun this invitation just to let it all go. Let what we hold on to so tightly. And this is why we come together. Particularly when times are difficult. And particularly when the year that we hoped the way the least had started, the way it started, hasn't been the way we wanted it. See, we come together to be reminded of this morning and we come together to be convicted as we face another week to be reorientated, not around ourselves, but around the God who calls us to praise him. See, the writer of this psalm didn't know what Jesus would do. He would have heard some of the prophecies But he had not seen Jesus and the full reality of what the Messiah would bring. he heard of the promise. He knew of the character of God and he wrote this psalm to encourage believers, no matter what the situation, to praise him. A Christian writer who died uh, last century, Francis Schaeffer, gives us great insight. And he says, what goes on in our inner world is not what we obey." He says, what goes on inside our hearts, our minds, our emotions, that's not what we obey. That's not the compass for our lives. He says, what actually goes on in our inner lives, what goes on in our thoughts and our feelings, they need to be examined. They need to be understood. And here Psalm 100 is asking us, with all that's going on in our heads, with all that we're facing in our lives, to examine that and to ask ourselves the question, how can we praise God? How can we be thankful? In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul actually traces all the evil and dysfunction and and misalignment in our world, and he sees the root cause of it as this, although they knew God, they did not honour God or give thanks to him. So you often think that God has to rise above the baseline normality in order to trigger us to be thankful or to praise him. That's at least the way I often operate. Um, Almost subconsciously, we, we kind of think, you know, do something good and then I might have good reason to praise. Like, that was amazing, thank you, and now I can praise you, God. But Paul's point, And Francis Schaeffer's point is that the source of our evil and consequently much of our misery is the absence of praise and thankfulness in our heart. See, what happens when we lose a thankful heart towards God is we become envious of others. If... The focus of our lives is ourselves, then people become competition to our happiness and to our joy. But if God is the centre, and if he's the source of our joy, then we can be an encouragement to one another. We're not caught in resentful loops. The source of the issue is how we relate to God. And how we relate to God actually has an impact on how we relate to others. They did not honour him nor give thanks to him. Schaeffer writes this, he says, A heart giving thanks at any moment is the real test of the extent of our love to God in that moment. See, you might have walked in the church this morning. You might be watching online and you've woken up and you've looked at the numbers and you've looked at the numbers for COVID all this week and it's kind of depressing. And here you are, it's Sunday morning, you know it's church time and you're not feeling like you just want to praise God. And, you know, I woke up this morning a little like that. I have thought to myself, here I am preaching a sermon on the praise of God and I don't know, feel like that, at least in those moments as I woke up, feeling like that. And I don't think many of us are feeling ecstatic this morning in our praise of God. Some of us might be. And what we do as a church is we acknowledge that reality and we're real about it. And, and what we actually do is pull the resources that God has given us and we lift one another up in that reality. Because at home by ourselves, we often can't see it. But when we hear of a brother and a sister, when we see their smile and their face, when we feel their love, it raises us to entertain that possibility of praising God, perhaps when we don't feel like it. See, and notice there in verse 2, that we're to worship or serve the Lord with gladness. I think here that the psalm is, is actually encouraging us, as you know, particularly as we come on a Sunday, I think the worship here has a sense in which this is the whole of life, but there is something special about the nature of our worship as we gather here. I think this psalm, um, particularly in verse two, is helping us just realise that those, those layers of disappointment that we hold, that we carry, the, that dissatisfaction, As we come together, we come together to peel that off. To see a new reality, to be reminded of what we sometimes forget, to be reminded of what we often can't see by ourselves at home. See, the word praise means to go on and on about someone or something. Parents do this all the time. I was very conscious. I was at a family um, barbecue yesterday. I kept talking about our kids, and I'm just, I'm wondering as I go on and on and on, you know, what's this person thinking? Are they thinking I'm going on and on too much? Because I feel like I'm going on and on, but I don't know, we got onto this, and I can't stop once I'm on it, and the poor person's nodding and thinking that's great, but I don't know whether they really think that that's fantastic. This, parents often do that. They, they praise, they're, they're somewhat, you know, they rave about their kids. C.S. Lewis asked the question. He says, why, "Why, do we need to praise God? You know, it, it, it's not as if God has a low self-esteem; he needs a bit of a, you know, a top-up, a bit of encouragement. It's not about, you know, our manners, it really, is it?" He said. C.S. Lewis says this, <clears throat> asks the question, "Why do we praise? Why do we need to praise God?" He says, "The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaping me." I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or of giving honour. I had noticed that all the enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistress. Readers their favourite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favourite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses But completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Hear what he's saying? We, We delight to praise what we enjoy. Praise isn't a compulsory thing that we just have to do. Praise is an automatic response to what we enjoy. And This psalm is is calling upon us to welcome the reality of God's authority in our world. In a way, sometimes when we can't see it, we're not feeling it. We feel like a virus has the authority in our world. But this psalm is encouraging us to welcome God's authority in our lives. And in in this desert of praise in our community, we're being invited as a church to water by the Spirit with the seeds of the gospel this little oasis. Amidst a world of complaint, of dissatisfaction, of disappointment, we're creating here an oasis of praise in that kind of desert. And the in fact, teaches us how to do that. It says there in verse 1 that we're to make a, a joyful noise or shout joyfully. Uh, the word behind that phrase is uh, the word to speak of raising a war crime. You See here in verse 1 how we are to praise. We're to do it in a way that, that captures all of us. Every part of our being, the way in which we cheer on a team that we love, when they win or score, we're captured in that moment. It's uh, The sense is here also, the word is used um, for a standing ovation. Our praise, and um, my family knows this, uh, when I'm watching the cricket, uh, is not subtle, Uh it's not subdued, it's raucous and uncontained. And this is the sense of, within those four words, just one word in the original, there's an uncontained nature that's, the person's being grabbed by the reality of what they're seeing. And we're to worship with gladness, the reality of our future and final reality. I don't think seems that far away When we're praising God, when we're praising him with joy. So we're to praise him in our lives with exuberance, with a way in which we're consumed by this reality, not because we have to, because it's the right thing to do, but because we want to. We praise what we enjoy. Secondly, why do we praise? Well, the Psalms helps us understand this. He says, um, firstly, the reason why we praise God is because he is God. Uh, You see there in verse 3, know that the Lord is God. Yes, we know that the Lord is God. And yet, we live in a world that doesn't really know that reality. Um, One Old Testament scholar says that, you know, uh, in the pagan religion, at the time in which this psalm was originally written, in the context around the nations, there were heaps of gods to choose from. And it didn't actually matter what God you chose, you know, your neighbor might choose one God uh, and one, uh, you know, temple to worship at, you might choose another. And so, even in its ancient context, to know, verse three, that the Lord is God, that was a crazy kind of thought. You know, people may have said to you, if you had believed verse 3, you know, are you crazy? Why would you say that? Well, we, 3,000 years later, we say that God, the Lord alone is God. And people will look at us and they say, well, why would you say that? They say, you know, there can't be one absolute truth. Like, how would you know? There are so many people claiming so many things. You can't be sure, and you can't know that that is absolutely true. But there in that statement, that person is is making the exact same claim that you are. That statement to say that there can't be One absolute truth in itself is an absolute claim. And so this thing that people do when we say, no, I believe there is only one God, people seek to undermine that in a way in which it sounds, well, you know, a counterclaim that sounds modest and open, oh, how can you be sure? You can't really be sure that there's only one God. And it's a counterclaim that pretends, I think, to be modest. But when Jesus is pressed, he's not modest about the truth. He's always humble. But when Jesus is pressed, he's not modest about what's true. He is plain. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is not hiding in obscurity. And he's come to us. We've celebrated that over Christmas. And that's one good reason to praise him. Firstly, why do we praise him? Because he is God. Secondly, we praise him, verse 3, because it is he who's made us. And we are his. We are the work of his creation. And when God makes something, he cares for it. And this also is... The truth for us together as a church he has made us as a church and you know what we as a church love being his ongoing miracle because he's made us he cares for us thirdly why are we to praise him well we are to praise him because we are his sheep the sheep of his pasture uh, we heard from the book of the Gospel of John, about Jesus' care for his sheep. But what's interesting in the context of this psalm is sheep were brought into the temple in the ancient world. And they were brought into the temple not because it was a petting zoo. They were brought into the temple for sacrifice. And so we as Christians are the kind of people who want our lives to count, not for ourselves, but for Jesus. No matter what, we're free both to live for him and to die for him. But as we face this year, that's not an easy prospect. Um, But Thankfully, this psalm helps us to see that our praise of God is a journey that we're on. There's a progression and a movement. You see that in verse 4 very quickly. Um, what's interesting here is you can see a physical movement moving towards the centre of the sanctuary. You see there in verse 4, it starts on the outside at the gates with praise and thanksgiving and it moves into the courts and then perhaps finally at the end of verse 4 into God's presence. And this is a great reminder. For that as much as I've been saying that it's important and it's right and it's good that we praise God, it's overflowing of our of the reality of God in our lives, I think this psalm appreciates that we all start in the gate. And there's a movement. And there's a movement towards God. But it starts with praise. It starts with praise at the gate, when perhaps we're not feeling like we want to praise God. It moves through the courts with praise. And our encounter with God, and our deepest encounter with God, is one of thanksgiving and praise. It starts with praise, our Christian lives. It continues with praise, and we find his presence in praise. And finally, I want to ask ourselves the question, where will we get the strength to praise God this year? Well, verse 5 helps us with that question. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. All of us are going to face realities this year that are hard, hard to face. We're going to have things that go on in our lives that threaten us, fears that at times overtake us. But what we're reminded of here in this psalm, as it points to the reality of the gospel, is that Jesus came and died to show us that God is for people like us. For people who face hard things, who have things that threaten them, and who are fearful. And when we're caught in those realities, in those things that are hard to face, when those fears overtake us, we're reminded verse 5, that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. He is good and he is steadfast and he is faithful and he's committed to us as a church and he's committed to us as people for the long haul. Indeed, Jesus demonstrates God's commitment to us that he will never, ever tire of us. As we heard in John's Gospel, Jesus willingly laid his, life down, laid his life down for the sheep. The shepherd gave himself for us, bled for us. And so these words of his goodness and his love are infused with that calvary fought reality. He is good to us. And he will never tire of being good to us. He will never tire of loving us. And he will never stop standing by us. His goodness and his love is not something he gives reluctantly. This is who he is. This is part of God's character. And so this year, as we move forward, as we look forward, we don't know what the future holds. Much of our lives are consumed by that, trying to work out what tomorrow might hold, what plans we need to make, what things we need to do, what we perhaps need to read to understand our situation. There's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, you know, wherever we are, how much knowledge we have about our world, about the virus, about what's going on, At the end of the day, we're all limited in that reality. And so, whoever we are, wherever we are, we don't know what the future holds. But as we trust in Jesus, as we know his love and his faithfulness, we know that his his goodness and his love will hold us in that future. God won't change his mind. There won't be an adjustment to God's plan based on all information. And so that means that we can praise him now and at the gates of this year. We can praise him in the middle of this year, perhaps when it's difficult. We can praise him as we encounter him, as he takes us deeper into his love, through the Lord Jesus, as we praise him. Amen. Please stand as we